coming. God bless you guys all the way from Pennsylvania. What an honor to have you with us this morning. Could you stand with me this morning for the reading of God's word as they're seated? That would be a good thing and appropriate to give them time to get seated this morning. Everyone say, what now? What do we do now? What do we do? One church, two locations. One church, two locations. What do we do? What's our next step? <clears throat> Last Sunday, uh, at the end of the second service, it was just, a, it was powerful in here. It was hard to even explain. I mean, you know, it's hard to relive that moment. But God just was moving in people's hearts in a powerful way. But as I finished preaching the message of the second campus, the altars were filled and, and God was touching people's lives. I saw one young lady, she was at the altar and she was just weeping and crying. And as I was getting ready to leave, we were closing down the service, this young lady came up to me and she was visibly shaken. She was moved by what God was doing in that moment. And as she was moved, she just looked at me and she says to me these words, what now? What do I do? What do I do? How do I take? What do I experience in here? How do I take this presence, this feeling, this moment, this touch, this experience? How do I take it and live it out there? How do I do that? I don't know how to do it. Immediately I grabbed her and I said, well, I want to introduce you to somebody that's going to help you walk that out. And I introduced her to Jennifer Washington. And that thought rolled through my mind. What now? What now? What do we do now? What do we do after we experience or encounter God in our life in a personal way through salvation? What is our next step? What do we do after we come into a worship experience like we've had already this morning and experience the grace and the presence of God and we've gathered with a group of believers and we've been worshiping Him? What is the next step? How do we take it out there? Because that really is the $64,000 question. That's the biggest gap and the biggest challenge that we all experience in our life. The transition from the head to the heart to the hands. What now? If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Psalms chapter 15. Psalms chapter 15. We're going to read five verses. Psalms chapter 15. We're going to read five verses. This is a Psalm of David. It's a song a song or a psalm of parallel. There are, are parallels. One of the ways the Hebrews wrote, we, we tend to write in the Greek kind of concept of acrostics, but the Hebrew concept was to write in parallel. They're contrast. And all throughout David's psalms, and you really see it throughout the Proverbs, you see contrast. One way of life versus another way of life. In psalms chapter 15, we're going to read five short verses here. But Psalms chapter 15, and then we're going to turn over to one New Testament passage. But Psalm chapter 15 says, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary, who may live on your holy hill, he whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong, who casts no slur on his fellow man, who despises a vile man, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his oath even when it hurts, who lends his money without usury and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never 
be shaken. Now I want you to turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 48. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 48. Matthew 5, 48. Be perfect. Everyone say, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Father, I ask this morning that your grace... Your grace that's already been evidenced to us would just expand and enlarge in the hearts of the hearers. And God, once again, that the words that I speak would not be my words, but Lord, you will take these words and turn them into your words, into the ears and the hearts of the hearers. I thank you for your kindness today. I thank you, Lord, that as we ask this question, what now? What's our next step? God, that you give us clear direction from your word. We thank you for the kindness that you've demonstrated. Now we ask one more time that you'll touch the hearts of the hearers in Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated this morning. Psalms chapter 15. Psalms chapter 15 gives us this big idea. This big idea. God desires that an encounter with him change the way we live. God's desire that an encounter with him change the way we live. In other words, we come into a worship experience. We come into a time or a gathering. Last night we gathered with about 10,000 people at the UCF Stadium as United Hillsong put on a conference and uh, uh, put on a worship experience. I thought it was going to be a concert, but when I got in there, I realized this was just a two-hour time of worship. And it was an awesome time as believers from all over the Central Florida community came together to worship God. But one of the challenges that we experience is we become isolated within this box. What takes place in here, the sacred, very seldom impacts the secular. But that's not the way God created us to be. We're not created to live lives of dichotomy. We're not created to live lives that are separate from the moment or the experience of the presence of God that we encounter in here. God desires that an encounter with Him change the way that I live and the way that you live. I, I uh, was a Royal Ranger for about six months as a little boy. I was a Boy Scout. I got up to a wee blow. Everybody remember Boy Scouts? I got up to about a wee blow. And I remember trying to use one of these things. Anybody know what this is? It's a compass. Now, I know enough about compasses. I've actually never used a compass like this before. They seem to be quite complicated to me. But I know that there's a little thing on here. It's a little green arrow. Some kind of magnet in here that's pulling this compass towards what? Towards the north. I mean, no matter how I stand, this compass is facing what? It's true, true north. Now, I don't know about the guys that came to Central Florida and decided to name I-4 east and west. I don't think that they were using this compass here. I mean, come on. Now, I'm directionally impaired. I, I, I'm going to join Celebrate Recovery be, for this. Uh, I mean, I got lots of issues to join Celebrate Recovery for, but this one here is really serious. I am directionally impaired. Just ask my wife. I mean, we get in the car. If you knew how many times, you know, because men hate to ask for what? I hate. I know how to get there. Come on, get in. Sit down and, you know, we're going. And we're driving down the road. You know where, well, you know where it's at? Well, now, thank God, we've got GPSs and all this kind of stuff. But even then, I can get lost. Sometimes if you follow the MapQuest or the Google Map on your little phone or your iPad or however you're getting directions, 
uh, the other, uh, a couple of months ago, actually it was last Thanksgiving, we were up in North Carolina and we were trying to find a certain location. And it had, if we took that location, they would have arrested us for driving through the middle of the golf course. I mean, someone was directionally impaired. They, they didn't follow the compass very well. The compass is set up to go due north. It's the way that it's designed. The Bible has created us as believers to be perfect. Now, you can say, you got to be kidding me. I'm the farthest thing from perfect. I'm perfect until I ask my wife. Now, come on, we, I mean... We know it. We know. We, we look at our life. We look at the reality, the choices that we've made, the decisions that we've made, the places, the things that we've done. We know that we're far from perfect, even as a believer. So what's this business about being perfect? You see, God sets a standard that is impossible for you as a human to achieve. Under the Old Testament law, there were 613 laws that the children of Israel were to keep. To keep them going true north. The problem is, is that none of them could do it. No one could do it. Isaiah said, there is none righteous, no, not one. I remember as a little boy trying to use this compass. It didn't make a lot of sense to me. I remember trying to, you know, I was on maybe a Boy Scout camp out or something. And they, they get you to go from one direction to another. And you got to follow kind of, you know, the degrees you said, however they do that. And you follow with a group of guys and you're all kind of wandering. They don't let you get too far. They know you're not going to get lost. But, but uh, they know you might get lost, but they're not going to send you that far so you won't get lost. And I remember trying to follow the compass. It was really cool. And a couple times I played with it. But it was just a child's play thing to me. The man that gave me this compass uses this compass all the time. His name is David Lee. He's a hunter. And he, he actually showed me, you know, you look through, you find a direction, you kind of sight this thing up, and you look at that, and you make sure you're going the right direction. And this is what I've discovered in the Christian life. God has given us true north. God has given us a way to live, and it's found in his word. David talks about the worshiper. David talks about... Who? Verse number one. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? In David's generation, there was a tent. It came from Moses. There was a, a, a tent that housed the holy of holies and the articles of God that would later go into the temple that Solomon built. But it was just a tent. It was a tent that literally would move from place to place. Under Moses, the tent, every time God decided to take the children of Israel a different direction, they would pick up that tent. And there would be a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day that would lead that tent the direction that they were to go. In the New Testament, because of the perfect one, the one perfect man, his name was Jesus. We not only have God now who resides in a tent, we have God who resides in our tent, our life. Who may, ascend, who may live in your sanctuary, who may dwell in your presence? Who may climb up your holy mountain. Here, listen to me today. In God, you are either going up or you're going down. You're either going up in God or you're going down. There, there's no like coasting in the kingdom. You know what they say about momentum? You know, you can look at any business, any organization, any local church, any your personal life, weight loss, anything you're doing and you're excelling and you're moving forward. Momentum starts to peak. Here's the top of the mountain right here. Momentum starts to peak right here. And if you don't start making changes, when you get to the top here, you're already on your way down. You're already heading back down. And that's the same in your spiritual life. 
The Bible says that we go from faith to faith. We excel in faith. We excel in knowledge. We excel in wisdom. We excel in spiritual generation and spiritual generosity and giving to God and living open-handed. And David says, God, who can be a worshiper of you? Who can be a worshiper of God? What now? What's the next step? This compass, and I believe this. I believe most people, when they take this book right here, the Bible, most people, this book is like this compass to me. It doesn't have any meaning. It's not really, I mean, you know, they kind of consider a child's plaything. Little Sunday school lessons that you learn over in children's church. I mean, where do I start? How do I, I, I know you know what people say, but how does it make a difference in my life? How does it make a difference in your life? David begins to lay out some steps for the worshiper. They're works. They're how we live our life. They're the working out our own salvation with much fear and trembling. It's learning to walk with God. How do we learn to walk with God? You must have true north in your life. You must have a center point. You must have a moral compass. Not just a moral compass of good ideas, but a moral compass that is guided by God himself. You see, God gave you written instructions. How many of you ever felt like you're just kind of going through a maze in life? Come on. I mean, things were happening around you. Business wasn't working and relationships were going sideways. And you just kind of felt like you were just bumping. Come on. Has anybody ever felt that beside me? You were just kind of like, where, how do, where do I go? And, and here's the deal. When you're the believer, you might feel like your life sometimes like you are in the midst of the forest and you're trying to look through the trees and you can't see where you're going. But you got true north. You have God's word. You have the word of God. Paul the apostle said, his word dwells richly in me. The reason that you meditate. Psalms chapter 1 says, Blessed is the man who meditates upon his word day and night. And in his law he delights. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of living water. And whatever he does shall prosper. You see, you have true north. You have a true center in your life. It's God's word. But sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I got the word. And I'm trying to read my compass, but I'm not very good at it. And all of a sudden, I realize I don't just have ground support, but I got aerial support. I got a GPS in the sky. His name is my Father in heaven. And he can see the beginning and the ending of my days. Someone said amen. Come on. You have a GPS hooked up. This ain't, I'm sure they got electronic compasses now that are hooked up to GPS. And you can just get, you can put a point. You know you do because I got on my iPad. I drive down the road and I put an address in and bam, GPS satellite signal tells me exactly where I'm to go. It leads me exactly in the direction that I'm supposed to go. And the psalmist David lays out the person who is a worshiper of God. This is the kind of life. This will be true north. These are the things that will cause him to not be moved. He literally says these things that I'm going to talk about, these next four things in the next couple of moments, these four things will cause you not to be moved in your life. I, I say this, they will cause you to be successful in your walk with God. The first thing that I want you to see this morning as we're practicing his presence, 
many years ago. It was actually in the 1500s. There was a book written entitled Practicing His Presence by Brother Lawrence. You can download it for free on the internet. It's a great little read. It's a great little read, it's, but it's so profound. He, he, he was a Catholic monk, monk that lived in the 1500s. And he just desired to maintain the presence of God. And he lived in a lot of solitude and he lived in a lot of quietness and he literally washed dishes in the monastery. That's what he was. He was the chief dishwasher. And in this book, he writes out lessons that he learned on how to wash dishes for the glory of God. How to wash dishes. So you can experience God's presence everywhere you're at. You can experience God's presence. You can know it. You have God's word to guide you. You have true north to set you on a straight compass in a straight direction. First thing that must happen is your life is what we must sincerely seek to walk after that which is right. Look at verse number two. He said, he whose walk is blameless and does what is right. Who experiences the presence of God? Who walks in the presence of God? He whose walk is blameless and does what is righteous. The word blameless is where we get integrity from. Sincerity. Without wax. In ancient Rome, they would have peddlers that would travel from village to village. And they would have these little pots that would hang off the back of their donkey or off the back of their shoulder that they would walk down the street with. And these pots, as they were walking along, they were clay pots. And when you start to get, get a bunch of clay pots, bouncing against each other, what happens to them? They what? They crack. Some would break, but some get cracks. And so these sales guys, knowing that they would just go from a place to another place, knew that they'd probably never see these people again. They would take those pots and uh, they would take a candle and they would melt the candle over the top of that pot. And they would melt in those cracks. They would fill in those cracks with this wax and they would rub it in the dirt. And so a good person, a, a wise buyer, the buyer beware, laissez-faire, buyer beware, the good buyer beware would take that pot and he would hold it up to a candle to see if it was sincere or integrous or blameless. A blameless man. A man who walks blameless. A while back, a long time ago in another church. No, in this church, but a long, long... It was another church back then. But a long time ago, there were some people that were trying to find some dirt on me. And somebody came and said, Pastor, you know what they're saying? I said, Really? I said, well, tell them to come on in and talk to me, and I'll tell them everything bad about me. I'll just let them know right up front. They don't have to go snooping around on the Internet. They don't have to go looking in my office when I'm not there to see if they could find something. Can you believe somebody? They did that. They're in that office, and they're snooping around and trying to find some dirt. Um, if you want to know, I mean, just come and ask me. I'll tell you all my faults. And if, you don't, if I don't tell them, I'll tell you. My wife can name the next ten. I mean, come on. <laughs> Give me a break you got to be kidding me. The heart, it has to do not just with a sincere heart. Because the heart is desperately wicked. The heart can be deceitful. There's a lot of people who are sincerely wrong in their beliefs and their values. Sincerely wrong. Heard a guy on Dr. Oz. I just watched him for like 10 minutes the other day. You know, they had a group of people and how to lose weight, how to do all this. And this guy was talking about human sexuality. And I'm thinking, that guy is screwed up. I mean, he is messed up. 
He was sincere in his beliefs, but he was sincerely wrong. Why? Because they violated true north. You can't just think whatever you want to think about the opposite sex who isn't your wife. That's wrong. The Bible calls it lust. The Bible calls it adultery. The Bible calls it the man who practices those kinds of things and thinking. In private will one day be exposed publicly. Private deeds always have. Unrepentant private deeds always have a public moment. They always do. Public regrets. A man who wants to be blameless before God. Seeks to live his life in a way of integrity. Seeks to be righteous. You know what righteousness is? It just means making right choices. You have the word of God, true north. You have God's word. Well, it's like a compass. I don't even know how to use that thing. That's where the Bible says to study, to show yourselves approved. You have every tool available to you on planet earth today. You can go on the internet. There are a zillion Bible study aids to help you study God's word. We have, member, we have the member seminar that we do here four or five times a year. We have a, a, a class called the member class, an eight-week basic discipleship. We have Bible classes that we offer on Wednesday night. And if not enough here at City Church, you can watch it on television night and day. You can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ expounded by some of the greatest communicators of truth the world has ever known. You have true north available to you today. Doing what is right. Seeking what is right. A guy in a church came to me a couple weeks ago and said, I was walking through Walmart, things were real. I was walking through the store, not Walmart, another store, another big box store. I was walking through the store and things were really tight in our family. And he said, I had to spend some money, I had to spend $100 on a thing that I needed because I really couldn't afford to do it. And he said, I was walking through the store, I saw this person in front of me drop a packet. And they just kept walking. They didn't know. And he said, he said, I went over and I picked up that packet. And it had some information in it concerning that individual. And it was a stack of money. And he, he said, he talked about the temptation that he felt, felt just at that moment to take that packet and put it inside of his pocket. Nobody would ever have known. No one would ever seen. He needed just, come on, that was God's blessing in his life. No, no, no. He was a person of integrity. He said, I felt the pull. I felt the tension. He said, I, went, I walked over to the concierge, to the person at the desk there, and I handed it. I said, this money belongs to the person that just walked out and just a couple of minutes ago. And make sure that they get that. That was a choice. That was a right choice. And when you make right choices, you feel right about yourself. So the first thing that we do is, the first thing that we do is that we walk in righteousness. We seek to live blameless lives. The second thing is our words must be truthful and helpful. Our words must be truthful and helpful. Look what he says here. He who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue and does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man. Speaking the truth in a helpful manner. Ephesians 4.15 says that we speak the truth in love. A lot of people can speak the truth. You can listen to talk radio all, all day long and there's a lot of people that are portraying truth from their perspective. But what I find a lot of times, there's a lot of people that are telling truth out there, but it isn't mixed with love. And that's the balance. See, truth without love can become a hammer. You can speak the truth to your children. You can speak the truth that your child is very messy and they never pick up after themselves. You can speak that truth. Isn't that right? Come on, parents. You know that. You can speak truth, but if there's not the love 
There's not the exhortation. There's not the encouragement. There's not the coaching. You don't have the coaching coming along with the truth. You have a, you have a setup for a cataclysmic crash in your home. Tempers fly. Word starts to yell. Speaking the truth in love from our hearts, we tell people the truth. But we do it with the love of God. You can tell a mature Christian by the way that they speak to other people. You can tell a mature Christian. The, the power of the tongue. Proverbs says that the tongue has the power of life and death. And we will eat the fruit thereof. Think about it. Wars. Wars. Billions. Millions. Hundreds of millions. Listen to me. Hundreds of millions of people have been killed in the last hundred years because of the power of the word. Words have life. You ever have a parent say something to you? Really mean and hurtful. Maybe you know they they felt bad afterwards, but when they said it, it was like it's like a dagger went into you. It's like, oh, come on. Words have power. The power of life and death are in the tongue. Pro- Jesus said, "I tell you that men will give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they speak. For by your words you'll be acquitted, and by your words you'll be condemned." So I got a couple questions I want you to ask before you just spout off the truth next time. Are the things that I'm about to say, are they helpful or are they hurtful? Are they helpful? Is the person that I'm talking to, do they really need to know this? Are these words going to bring hurt? Well, what I'm about to say, will it make the situation better or will it make it worse? Sometimes someone hurts us, offends us. We start talking about that person to another person, and we're telling the truth, but we're putting our hurt, we're putting our pain onto someone else. Someone comes to you, starts to tell you about someone, what someone did. And I want to say, well, am I supposed to like them less now because you told me that? I mean, why are you you telling me this? Why are you passing this information onto me? Is this hurtful? Or is this helpful? Does this make the situation better? Or does it make it worse? Is what I'm about to say motivated by a genuine need for other people to know? Other people really need need to know. Sometimes people do need to know. Number three, we must hate what is evil and love what is good. Look at verse number four. He despises the vile man but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his oath even when it hurts. Hating what is evil has to do with allowing evil. Listen, parents, listen to this. This is for you, parents. Allowing evil influences into your home. It's your responsibility to monitor your children, what they listen to. It's your responsibility to monitor what your children watch. It's not the government's job. It's not the school's job. Oh, they have some more responsibility, and I get all that. But you're the parents. You're the one that God says, train up a child in the way that he should go. I'm not talking about every single song and every movie. You know, people get into little debates about this as well as that. No, I'm talking about things that start to influence your child. All of a sudden, you start to see your child going the wrong direction, maybe because of what he values. He's valuing and emulating the wrong people. 
in popular culture. I mean, today you become famous for just stupid things. Like exposing your body for all the world to see. Now you're famous. Now you get to be on Dancing with the Stars. Give me a break. That's popular culture. It's goofed up. It's broken. The Bible says that the way of the transgressor is hard. It's been proven a billion times. How many people have to die? How many people have to OD? How many people have to live like Woody Allen who don't know if God exists, therefore all of life is meaningless? No, we don't have to. We have the way of God. We can hate that which is evil. We can honor those who, who are your heroes today in your home. In my home, you know who the heroes are? We celebrate victors. We celebrate winners. We celebrate the servants in the local church. We celebrate preachers. I've been preaching now for 23 years. So in my house, we celebrate great preachers of modern day and great preachers of the past. Talking to my boys, talking about some of the great preachers of old, men like D.L. Moody, men like Charles Wesley and John Wesley, men like uh, 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 Charles Finney and D.L. Moody, men like Smith Wigglesworth. And I move into the present day and I just look at my community and I got some current heroes right here in Orlando. People like Dr. Joel Hunter over here at Northland Community Church, my hero, a man who lives the kingdom distributed and the man who's been so generous to City Church. And then I look at another pastor over here, Pastor Carl Stevens over at Faith Assembly. He's my hero, 30-some years in the trenches. He said, I said, how you doing? He said, well, I'm just learning from you, Pastor. I just keep showing up. Sometimes the only thing that you can do is just keep showing up. It doesn't really matter how I'm doing in the moment. Because in the moment cannot be the reality of the sum total of my life. I keep showing up. We talk about heroes. We honor people who do great acts. Celebrate great victories. Keep our word. Even when it hurts. I'm going to have to close this message here. But boy, I could get, get mad on this one. It's not a popular thing in our... I mean, it's getting real quiet today. <laughs> Because it's truth. It's truth. The person signs up for the baby nursery, tells the person they're going to be there, and doesn't show up. Wow. Broken promise. You know, when we plan, I'm not picking on it. I'm not, you know, if the shoe fits, wear it. But uh, we do a sign up here at City Church. We do a sign up out there, and we have all these people sign up for these events, and they're going to work different things. We can count on about 30% of the people not showing up. Because there's a sense in our culture that nothing, you know, we sign a contract. Most people credit, you know, credit score is a big deal and, and all these issues. And most people's issues with credit, yeah, they got it. They ran into money problems. But most of the time what happens is we spend more money than we ever had. And all, we made a promise to pay somebody back and now we don't feel obligated to pay that, that payment back. Well, that doesn't really apply. You know, I just, we'll bankrupt, dissolve it, we'll start. Yeah, that's good. And God does that with our sins. And thank God for the, you know, thank God there's a, you're a jubilee, and I'm all for that, and it's good. You know, I, under, I understand it needs to happen, and things happen out of people. I get all that. It's way, way, way too many easy decisions that people make. They just walk away from some really hard choices. I was at the mall with my son, and I was reading this verse, verse number four. I want you just to listen to this verse. He despises a vile man who honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his oath, or his promises, even when it hurts. <laughs> I said, Kenan, I'm a pastor. I have pastor friends. I've Googled their name. 
And they weren't promise keepers. They didn't keep their promises to their spouse. They didn't keep their promises in the area of money. And now when you Google their name, the very first thing, you know, they did just like we did. I mean, great pastors. Pastors that gave away, you know, thousands, millions of dollars. Pastors that helped thousands of people come to faith in Christ. Pastors that dedicated and baptized. Pastors that did great works. But they didn't keep their promises. When it hurt. When it wasn't easy. If you choose to follow Christ, I'm going to tell you it's always good. It's good news. It is good news. I'm going to tell you it's full of faith, hope, and love. But it comes at a cost. It comes at the cost of personal decision that I will follow Christ even when it hurts. When I'm in the workplace and everyone else is kind of fudging on their taxes. Everyone in my job was fudging on their taxes. You know, because we made tips and we, you know, we didn't all declare all. And I made a decision that I was going to be 100% true. I was going to be a truthful man. My compass pointed north in the area of my finances and of my money. I was going to be accountable for every penny that I made. No tax-free dollars in my economy. I obey the laws of the land. People coming up, one man said, if you don't stop doing it, I'm going to slash your tires after work. And we don't know who's going to do it. I mean, people saying things. When you make a decision to point your compass north, to hate what is evil, to love what is good, and to keep your promises. Now, we all make mistakes. You know, this message is, or not, this standard is perfection. And here, this is, this is what it shows us, that we need grace. We can't do this on our own. This isn't a pull yourself up by the bootstrap, tuck your, check, you know, your, your chest back, and we're going to do this, bless God. No, 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 no. You are powerless without Christ. That is why you need the Spirit of God and Christ living and dwelling and working in your life on a daily basis. Paul said, walk in the Spirit. Stay in step with the Holy Spirit. Listening to His voice. Getting the compass of His Word out on a daily basis. Meditating upon it day and night. So that His law won't depart from you. So then that you will be like that tree that's planted by the living water. And when you are in the trees and you have your compass pointing this way, the word of God abided in your heart. And then you begin to call unto God. God, I can't see my way clear. God, this temptation is too great. God, I can't do it. God, this is impossible. All of a sudden, God speaks down from heaven into your heart. Don't worry. My grace is sufficient for you. Someone said amen. The last, can you put the last point up for me, number four? You got to hear this. We got to honor God with our wealth. Two big gods. Two big gods in our culture. Lots of gods in our culture. But two big demon idols that just rule over America. First one's sexuality. Just huge. It's everywhere. We're bombarded. The things that we see on television today. We're just on basic television programming. We're beyond people's wildest imaginations when I was growing up as a kid. I mean, you couldn't even believe the stuff that we pipe into homes. Stuff that's accessible to us in our lives. It's just, it's worshipped. Sexuality is worshipped as the epitome of a, of a person's, person's personness. You were created to be a worshiper. We were created to be worshippers, not to be worshipped. We were created to be worshippers. We were created to be givers, not takers. We were created to have hearts full of love, 
not lust. The second big one is money. Money, money, money. Money, money, money. It's a big one. Lack of money, too much money. Lack of money, most people. Lack of money with some people, too much money. And in a culture of abundance, culture of the whole economic engine built around Black Friday, now Cyber Monday, now consume, consume. Gotta spend more, more. You're gonna, you won't even be able to find it in six months what you just bought. More junk. I gotta get a storeroom now because my garage can't hold all the junk and my attic is full. Don't open my drawers because you might see some more junk. We're just, it's overwhelming. And God's got this one thing. It's called generosity. He's got his finger on. The generous man will prosper. Just read it for you. I mean, I ain't making this up. Don't take bribes. You know, sometimes it's easy to look at other people, politicians, police officer just a couple of weeks ago right here in the city of Sanford was busted for taking a bribe. Politician in Orlando setting on, on a jury trial right now because they took a bribe. I mean, and, you know, we, but let me tell you, it gets down to where you live, the integrity of the heart and the way you handle money, the favors that you show someone on the job if they just slide a few bucks your way. People do that. People buy schedules and all kinds of things, all kinds of crooked things of the heart. Who's your source today? Who do you trust? I've got four questions I want to ask you this morning. Four questions. Four questions for every person in this room. Do I have any areas of my life that are not blameless or full of integrity? Come on, just bow your heads right now. You're not going to answer all this today. Some of you need to, con it's really quiet, so I know God must be just busting on some of our buttons. I know he did on mine this weekend, so. Many areas of your life that are blameless, not full of integrity. Have you been speaking unwholesome or, or hurtful words about anyone or something? Is there someone that we fail to honor by keeping our word? Are you living a generous life towards God and others? Do I have any areas of my life that are not blame that are blameless, not blameless, or full of integrity? Has God been speaking to me about some things that I've been saying about others that have been hurtful and haven't been helpful? someone that I've failed to honor by keeping my word you know this whole message boils down into this one word love we were created to be worshipers we were created to be worshipers to love God with all of our heart and the next great command is this to love our neighbor as yourself the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today God wants you to live successfully God's given you true north in your life. He's given you his word. You're a wor He's given you the worship, the presence, the reality that you sense in here. He's given you his word. And then he's given you aerial support in your time of need. You to bow your, with your heads bowed and eyes closed right now, and the Holy Spirit's speaking to you this morning. I'm not going to give an altar call like last week. But I want to challenge you to leave this week. In your heart and your mind, God 
Is there an area in my life that you're speaking to me about? Am I living in complete integrity? Are my words matching up with my actions? Are my words helpful or hurtful? Father, today, I pray for every person in this room. I thank you that the grace of God is here. It leads us to change. I thank you for the mercy that you extended, Lord, even to me this week as you were speaking this word deep into my heart and showing me the areas of my life that needed to be changed. And I pray, Lord, that a message like this would bring change and transformation to the hearers' hearts. We thank you for the grace and the goodness of God. We thank you this morning that you are a good God. We thank you, that Father, that we can come before you as worshipers in spirit and in truth. Thank you for the power of your word that changes our life. We love you, Jesus, in your wonderful and your mighty name. And all of God's people said, amen. Give the Lord a great big hand clap this morning.